You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name is Richard, for those that don't know me, and uh, it's great to be in your living room or wherever you're watching this. And to my Every Nation family, it's great always to be with you. And uh, yeah, aren't we uh, all excited? It's great to have Jacob Moon back live. Person, uh, actually, a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I we were uh, in our local grocery store, and uh, in the produce section, we bumped into a couple from our small group, and uh, it was such a great moment. But such a, a f- the first few seconds of socially awkwardness of like, what do we do? We fist bump, elbow bump, what do you do? But it was just so great to see people in 3D person that we'd been seeing on a screen for the longest time. And so I'm really hoping uh, and want to encourage you over the summer as it becomes safe to do so, to really prioritize getting together in person uh, as best as you can. I think we've been so starved of that and it's such a critical part of what makes us human. And so I really want to encourage you uh, in that pursuit. And so we're going to jump in and continue in our unstoppable series, uh, which is going to come to a stop in a few Sundays. We're going to take a break um, and pick it up maybe another time, maybe later this year or early next year. But uh, we've got a couple of more uh, Sundays in this series. Um, to set us up for today, I want to, I want to read a uh, famous made-up old adage or um, parable, if you will, about a man who gets stuck in a big hole next to a road. Try as he might, he can't find a way out. So he looks for help. The first person who walks by throws some money in the hole and travels on, but money doesn't help. The man is still very much stuck in the hole. The next person who walks by offers prayers and travels on. The prayers are welcome, but again, the man is still stuck in the hole. The third person who walks by might be the answer to those prayers. He looks at the man long and hard. It seems you're stuck in that hole. Do you need help? The stranger asks. I sure do, says the stranger. I sure do. So the stranger jumps into the hole. Why on earth did you do that? The man hollers, all his hopes suddenly dashed. Because I've been in this hole before, the stranger smiles, and I know the way out. And so, the hole, whatever problem, opposition, adversity you individually, us collectively face, it's really helpful and really important to remember that we're probably not the first ones to face this problem. Oh, the uniqueness of our circumstances may be different, but there really, as Ecclesiastes says, nothing new underneath the sun. And so it's also helpful for us to know that others have gone before us. And so if others have gone before us and encountered similar things, then we can draw upon their wisdom, we can draw upon their experience. And so we're in this book of Acts and so Acts is, it's us going back to the book of Acts, which is, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's really just, it's just counting the, the early church, the start of the church after Jesus' ascension, the start of the early church and how they grew into this incredible movement. Some 2000 years later, we still see growing across uh, the earth. Um, it's not about us looking back nostalgically. Oh, wow. Look at what they did. In their time, that's amazing. But it's looking at and saying, wow, look at what happened in their time. And how might we apply some of that to what we're doing in our time to faithfully follow and witness to Jesus? And so that's what we're doing here today is we're drawing upon that. Last week, we looked at how the early church had much favor and much growth. But at the same time that they had favor and growth, opposition and hardship and adversity and pushback they began to experience. And this becomes a theme throughout the first century early church. In fact, 
throughout history. And the two go together. There should be a healthy balance of some opposition. The message of Jesus isn't appealing to everyone. It challenges our core beliefs, the way we see reality. But at the same time, we should also trust God for growth as people look at that and see Jesus and say, you are the Lord, you are the Savior, you are, your way is the best way to to live our life on this planet. And so today we're going to look at their response to that. How did they respond to the whole? How did they respond? How did they get out of the hole of adversity? How did they get out of the hole of opposition? What did they do in response to that? And so won't you join me in Acts chapter 4? We're going to read a few verses and then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 5 a little bit. And so Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Um, so just to get you caught up, so Peter and John were, have been arrested and they've been told you you can, they've set, let the, the Jewish leaders have let them go free and warned them, do not forbid them to preach or teach in the name, in the name of Jesus. And so Peter and John um, have been let go from, from prison. And so we, uh, we catch up with them in verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're quoting Psalm 2. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Jump down to verse 12 of chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on carts and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray and jump into today. Father, we are so grateful that uh, we have your word, uh, not as a relic, not as some historical document, although it does record what happened in history, but something that's alive and dynamic and active today. And so we're asking by your Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, and would you fill our hearts with courage? Would you fill our hearts uh, with a perspective that we need as we face our whole, as we face our own opposition and adversity in this time? And may we draw strength from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. And so last summer, if you remember, I know it might feel like a lifetime away last summer when you begin to think about it, uh, but last summer we did a series called Forging Resilience. And uh, I think in the fall we did something called Stand Firm. And I think those kind of give you an indication of where we and a lot of the world was at with this pandemic. And resilience really is just the capacity to to withstand and then bounce back from, from adversity, right? And so... Um, 
as we now begin to slowly, and I underscore the word slowly, as we begin to slowly emerge from the pandemic, because we don't know, it could be still months of, of some level of uh, instability. But as we slowly do emerge from this pandemic, and we will, what will it take for us to move from maybe being on the back foot towards the front foot in terms of moving forward, particularly for us as the people of, of people of faith, as people that follow Jesus? What would it look like to move from the back foot to the front foot of continuing his mission to bearing witness as the 21st century church, just like the first century church? Well, what we can look back today and get encouragement from is we can see some things that fueled their bold resilience as they pushed back against the resistance that was coming their way, as they were a resilient church in the face of opposition adversity. And so I want to briefly look at five marks that I see in the passages that we read, five marks of a resilient church, five marks of a resilient people, a resilient community of faith. And so these five, I'm not going to do any of them justice, and that's not the point. In and of themselves, they're equally important, and we could do a deep dive on these five things. But they're like ingredients. And so I'm not much of a baker, but I know this, that you can have eggs and flour and sugar and milk and all the other things that go into baking a cake or whatever it is. And each in uh, each of those items are incredibly important, meaningful, and can be used in other ways. But there's something special when we bring those ingredients together, and they mix together, they can form something really beautiful like a cake. And in the same way, these five marks, more so I want to focus on today, I'm going to highlight them, but it's really how they're to be seen as working together. Sometimes um, we have this uh, challenge that we isolate things as people. Uh, we isolate things as a church, and I think life is a lot more complex than that. And actually, our faith is to be interwoven with a lot of different elements. And so these five marks uh, let's jump in today. The first one is an authentic community. Now, when I say the word church, I wonder how many of you authentic community bubbles to the top of when you hear church. What what describes church best for you? An authentic community. I know authentic is a buzzword right now. It's like a very popular, let's be authentic and whatever that is. But but authentic community really defined the early church for sure. I find it interesting. Verse 23, it says they were, when they were released, they went to their friends. Now this is the church community, but friendship is, is something quite deep. Friendship is something shared with people. It's life being shared with people. It's the, it's the celebrations of life and it's the struggles of life that you walk through with friends. And I know I don't, I, I've been reflecting on this and, and, and maybe to do some more reflecting. I, I, I know just in my experience and many people's experiences, they really struggle to find friends within the church community. It's like they have their church. They, 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 church is important to people, but oftentimes their closest communities are outside of the church, whether that's a sports community, a workplace community, or, or friends that don't necessarily share. And so we're to have multiple communities for sure. But the church really is to be one of our, <clears throat> excuse me, primary social groups. The sociologists, people far more skilled than I am, study these things. They study human society and they look at what makes human society really function well. And they say a social group consists of two or more people who regularly interact and share a sense of unity and common identity. And they're incredibly important for the stability of society. Uh, one of the obvious ones really is, is family. And how important that is, a unit in society, the stability of the family. I think about uh, your upbringing, my upbringing. Now, we know there's a lot of dysfunction, dysfunctional families, but it still is a social group that uh, forms and shapes us for good or 
for bad. Think about friendship groups. Think about uh, your workplace, your work colleagues. Think about maybe sports teams you're on or been part of. Think about those social groupings that have had the deepest impact in your life. And if you look back in your life, um, would you say church community is up there? And so for some of us, it is. Praise God. That really should be uh, more encouraged. But I think for a lot of us, you, church might be in the mix, but it might not be right up at the top there. And so for the early church and for us, our church community should be one of our most primary social groups that we're united around a common identity, a common mission. There's a lot of diversity in that, but we're united around something that's really incredibly important and special. And so the first mark of a resilient church is that they're an authentic community. They're an authentic community that has relationship. And it's important for us, particularly in the West, when individualism is such a value, such a high esteem these days, it'd be interesting to see as we emerge from the pandemic, how much that gets eroded, because I think that's been really challenged in a time when we're all kind of been isolated from one another, which I think is a good thing. It's really testament that we are uh, uh, social beings, that we're made for relationship. And for us as Christian, why? Well, it's simple, because we're made in the image of God who is relational. And so this beautiful African proverb, I've mentioned it many times before, but I'll say it again. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And sometimes traveling with other people uh, can be frustrating. Maybe their pace is a bit slower than yours, or maybe their pace is a little bit faster than yours. And But if we want to go far in life, we want to go far in our spiritual journeys, you cannot do it without authentic community. So number one, the mark of the resilient church, the mark of them and the mark of us needs to be an authentic community. So reflection for you, how about you? Are you you just attending a church community, a church, or are you belonging to authentic community within a church? And uh, we would love to help you and grow as a community that's not perfect that maybe is inauthentic in some ways, but I know there's a heart's desire for a lot of us, our leaders and our small groups, to be that authentic community, to journey with one another in the ups and the downs of life, to not put on a religious pretense, which I think is part of why I think a lot of people struggle to find deep friendships in a church, because deep friendships require vulnerability. And sometimes we come into faith settings and we feel like to be Person of faith, we have to have our life a certain way, have it all together. And that's just really not true. And so welcome into this authentic community uh, for good or for bad. Secondly, bold prayer. Look what it says here. They lifted their voices together to God. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you continue to perform signs and wonders. And so they weren't just an authentic community getting together and singing Kumbaya or sharing and doing life together, all those buzz phrases, but they were a praying community. They were a community that gathered and prayed. One of the first things they did as they gathered as the community is they prayed. They reflected upon after hearing what Peter and John had been through, after kind of coming to terms with, wow, this is now going to maybe cost us something. They prayed and they prayed together. Not only did they pray, But it's how they prayed and what they prayed for that's so impactful, at least certainly to me. They prayed bold prayers. They, I don't know how many, maybe me, I would have been praying, God, would you change and soften the Jewish leaders' hearts? God, would you uh, allow us not to experience opposition so that your word could spread? So they didn't necessarily pray for their circumstances to change. They prayed for them to change in response to their circumstances. God, the circumstances are this. You look upon their threats, but you give us boldness that we can continue. I love that. 
I love that. It's just their, their idea is that we're not going to stop. We're going to be faithful to Jesus. And gosh, yeah, it's going to get uncomfortable. Maybe we're going to spend a couple more nights in prison. I don't know. God, you take care of their threats. But we want to continue. We're not shrinking back. We're not going on the back foot. We're still moving forward. And so they prayed together and they prayed boldly together. Prayer for sure is an individual thing that we were to cultivate our own personal prayer life. But there is something about coming together and praying. And there's something about being encouraged as you're praying with one another, for one another. There's just something there you're not going to get uh, just in your individual time of quiet with the Lord. And it ties in with that first one, an authentic community. And you can't really be a practicing Christian outside of church community. You really, really can't. It's going to be a struggle for you. And part of it is we're to come together and pray. Um, Martin Luther says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of his willingness. Love that. It's not when we pray, it's not that we're trying to twist God's arm. Okay, like, you know, like kids try to wear their parents down. Please, can we get that ice cream? Please, can we get that toy? Please, can we do this? Please, and like just relentless, and eventually the parents cave in like, okay. That's not the picture of prayer we to get. We come to God. God has a willingness. And how do we know his willingness? Scripture forms that. It tells us what God wants to do, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. And we can lay a hold of that and say, God, we come and we're wanting to lay a hold of your willingness as a community. So firstly, an authentic community. Secondly, bold prayer. And so again, reflection for you and I, how about you? Do you regularly pray with others for boldness to lay hold of God's willingness to move in your life, through your life, in your circumstances? It's not to say that praying for circumstances to change is, is bad. That's that each, each situation has to uh, have a wisdom about it. But I think sometimes we're so quick to want to change the situation. Take me out of that difficult relationship. Take me out of that work situation. Take me out of that uh, boss. Maybe God's like, I want you to stay there a little bit longer. I've got something to do there. And so it needs a boldness. It needs a wisdom. And it needs a community, a safe community to process that through and with. So secondly, bold prayer. Number three, I see a trust in God's sovereignty. Look how they begin praying. They beginning praying, sovereign Lord. And they go way back to the beginning. Sovereign Lord who created the heavens and the earth and all that's in it. It's what they what are they declaring about God? God, you're so big. <laughs> like we think our problem is big. Let's just scale back here. God, who created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it, not just Jerusalem, not just like what we can see and experience with our five senses. They begin their prayer by calling on the sovereignty of God. And then they're, as they're praying, they're reflecting on their situation, and they're seeing how even the terribleness of Jesus being falsely accused, being condemned to death, being crucified – even that they're beginning to see is all part of your plan, God. It's all part of your plan that, God, you're able to even use the sinfulness and wickedness of evil men. Somehow you're able to use that as part of your plan, and we see that. Because it, had Jesus not gone to the cross, had he not resurrected from the dead, he's not ascended, none of this would be happening. And so they have this idea and this framework that God is sovereign, that God is in control. Now, um, in, in some ways, it's kind of obvious. Like, well, isn't that a defining characteristic of a God or God? Like, shouldn't he be sovereign? Like, if he isn't, like, whoever else is, that's God. So there's one thing about belief in God's sovereignty. So let's unpack a little bit what that means. I love what Joni uh, Tata says. She says it like this. Nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing is a setback to his plans. 
Nothing can thwart his purposes, love thwart. And nothing is beyond his control. His sovereignty is absolute. Everything that happens is uniquely ordained by God. Sovereignty is a weighty thing to ascribe to the nature and character of God. Yet, if he were not sovereign, he would not be God. The Bible is clear that God is in control of everything that happens. So, I say that. I think it's one thing to believe that and nod your head and say, yeah, that makes sense. If God is God, then God is God. Like everything, you know, like beyond our finite, you know, we might not understand everything that happens and wonder why, how could God use that? But it's another thing entirely to not just believe in the sovereignty, but to trust in the sovereignty of God and see that lived out in your daily reality. That's a whole different thing. And again, I'll pick on the West because just where we are, like we have this divorce between belief and how we live our lives. It's like we have our doctrine all together, but it somehow is divorced by how we live our, our lives. Uh, Craig Grishel, if you know that name, is a pastor in uh, Oklahoma. Um, we were to thank him and his team for giving us something called the Version, the Bible app. That's, that's, that's their church and, and people within their church that did that. He wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. I love that provocative title, right? The Christian Atheist. He talks about what, what a Christian atheist is. He talks about it's belief in God, but living as though he doesn't exist. And he laments this condition that we, we as Christians, sometimes we have our beliefs. I believe in this. Yes, 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 yes. But it's totally divorced from the way we live our lives. We live as if none of that actually is true. And here's what he had to say, one of the quotes in that book. He says, when we live by faith, we believe that God has everything under control. But if we start to worry, how we live says the opposite. And so easier said than done, for sure. We know that it's hard. We, we know that the last 15, 16 months have been incredibly hard. Who knows to say what the next 15, 16 months is going to look like. Uh, we're, no one's diminishing um, how we're feeling about that. In fact, we've talked extensively how important it is to acknowledge reality. But I think also what we're saying is we can acknowledge reality, but at the same time, if we do genuinely believe that God is sovereign, that God is not just sovereign, but that God is good, that God is not just sovereign and good, but he's just, that he's not just sovereign, good, and just, but he's infinitely wise, that he can use all that's happening to us somehow for our good ultimately. Maybe we won't fully realize it this in this lifetime, but somehow God is going to reconcile all things in his plan and his purpose. And so their, 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 um, their trust in God's sovereignty is tangible. They, they, they're, they're, not, they're, uh, they're not anxious even in the face of this opposition. They can see that God is working and even using hard things for his goodness. And so how about you as we reflect this? How about you? Does your life, does my life reflect a trust, a peace, and a rest in God's sovereignty and goodness? Fourthly, they're deeply shaped by Scripture. They're rooted in and shaped by Scripture. Verse 25, in their prayer, as they pray, they quote Scripture in their prayer. Always a great thing to include in our, in our praying together. It said, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then if you're familiar with that, they actually quote the first couple of verses of Psalm 2, which was a psalm that, that David wrote. But it's interesting they said, said by the Holy Spirit. So for me, I get from there, they have an incredibly high view of Scripture. 
Yes, scripture is written by different authors across different cultures, across different timescales, across different contexts and, and, and historical uh, contexts that we've all got to look at different genres, but all of it is the word of God to us. So they have a high view, God, by the Holy Spirit. You're speaking through David. You speak through Paul. You speak through Peter. You speak through Esther. You speak through Job. You speak through your Bible. It is your word coming through these human and cultural personalities and contexts. So they have a high view of Scripture. Not only do they have a high view of Scripture, they know Scripture. They quote Scripture. And they're able to to apply Scripture well, because you can apply Scripture poorly. They're able to apply Scripture well to their circumstances and then allow Scripture to reframe how they're to interpret their circumstances. Oh, this is what's happening. Yeah, sure, Pontius Pilate and Herod and the Gentiles and the people, and they conspired, and it was terrible what happened to Jesus. And in that moment, we were lost. We were like, what's going on? We thought everything had... But now we're understanding and we're reframing and reshaping that moment, that reality, according to your truth. And it tells a different story. That's what it means to be shaped by Scripture. Scripture is, rec- is, is crucial. It's a crucial part of us looking at reality for, from God's perspective, over and above the news, over and above social media, over even and above well-meaning family and friends. It's so important in this time when we have a 24-7 news cycle and we have 24-7 access to information, we drown in information, that we are very selective what we give our attention to. This is a quote I love. I've quoted it before and I'll quote it again. I encourage you, this be your summer reading. Pick up this book from John Mark Comer. It really will impact your life. He says it like this. Attention is the beginning of devotion because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in his world. But not those, not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the non-stop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel. <laughs> Love that. How do you really feel, John Mark Homer? Tell us. <laughs> we become what we give our attention to for better, for worse. So how about you? How about me? What gets your attention these days? What voices are loudest in your life and who are you becoming as a result? Be shaped by Scripture. Have a firm resolve to allow Scripture to inform your reality, not your reality to inform your reading of Scripture. And lastly, they were filled with the Spirit. So community, prayer, sovereignty of God, Scripture, and now the Spirit. And when they had prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is multiple fillings. If you've been paying attention in this series, we've had a couple of instances where Peter's been filled, Peter's been filled. And so I know for some of you, we have different understandings of baptism and, and fillings in the Holy Spirit, but it's pretty clear. Paul goes on to speak in Ephesians that we're to be continually being, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need that. It's like gas in your car. If you think about your life as a car, use a car as a metaphor for your life, the spiritual journey that you're on. You need gas, right? But you wouldn't fill up with your gas and say, I'm good to go for the rest of my life, right? You're good to go for the journey. But then there comes a time when your gas tank is empty and you need refilling. 
And you need refilling for the journey ahead. Guys, we have a journey ahead. We need a refilling of the Holy Spirit for the journey ahead. But not only is your life as a car, do you need gas? You need a steering wheel. And that's the word. That's scripture. It's word and spirit. We're not just to be word people. We're not just to be spirit people. We're to be word and spirit people. You can have gas and you can slam on the accelerator and you can have a wild ride, but you're going to go everywhere and anywhere. Unless you have a steering wheel. You can have a steering wheel, your GPS, calculate your journey to the T. But unless you have gas in that tank, you're not going anywhere fast. And so we need both. We need gas in the tank and we need the GPS of our steering wheel to direct us. And we have both at our disposal. God, by his spirit, wants to remember Martin Luther laying hold of his willingness to pour out his spirit in us for the journey ahead. Give us direction, God, through your word through community, through the trusted voices in community. I'm going to end with this quote, Corrie ten Boom. She was a Dutch watchmaker and a writer um, and was very instrumental in helping a lot of Jews in World War II escape the Holocaust by um, hiding them in her home. Uh, She says this beautifully, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. Authentic community, bold prayer, uh, God's sovereignty rooted in and shaped by Scripture, by the truth of God's Word and filled with His Spirit. Those ingredients combined together, what's the result? The result is a resilient church that is bold, that is fruitful. We read that in chapter 5. They go out, they see people being added to the church, they see healing, they see deliverance. What is that? That's just them saying Jesus is Lord and it's translating into reality. It's not just some banner or slogan that's in the church sanctuary. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of your sickness, of your situation, of your circumstance, of your addiction, of your bondage. And they are faithful in bearing witness to Jesus, even at great cost. Church, we're to be a resilient church. We're coming into a season where we can move from the back foot to the front foot. And all those ingredients are going to help you and I individually and collectively be a resilient church in this time, in our time, in this context, and in this hour. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.